For those of you who don't know me, my name is Steve Korn. I have the pleasure of serving as one of the elders here. And um, uh, to be real honest, you know, I, I thought with Chad gone, I'm going to, you know, I, I got to be up here and preach. And so I could probably get away with some things because the pastor's gone, right? But then the old pastor decides to show up. What's up with that, Brian? <laughs> I'm not feeling any pressure here. Oh, yeah, okay. <laughs> so, um, we are here to, um, that's a good thing about having the substitute teacher, you know, is that um, it really doesn't stand on me. What, what, what the word that of God stands on its own, right? So, as long as I lift that up, we're going to be good. So, I, I, my prayer is that God will speak to you and use this time um, either through me or in spite of me. You know, just let's hear from God. So let's pray, let's pray for that. God, we come to you today and we are grateful for this opportunity. I pray that you would reveal yourself to us in new ways during this time. And that we could take that which we've learned and that which draws us closer to you and we could uh, use that in our lives and that it would make a difference in our lives and that we could then go about glorifying you with our lives. For that matter, with your lives. In Jesus' name, amen. So, I'm asked for you to turn today uh, to Matthew chapter 11, beginning at verse 25. We're going to be kind of uh, all over the place in the New Testament today. And so, uh, we're going to have the, the verses up on the screen for you as we get to them. Um, because I, I may hit them kind of quickly at, at some points. Um, so just bear with me, and if, if you don't have time to uh, turn to each one of those passages, it's okay. Just, you know, write down, you know, the, the reference if, you, if you're taking notes. Um, my, my message today is about following Jesus. What does it mean to follow him? And so to start out, I thought I would tell you a story about my wife and I and some friends. Last summer, well, I know, I guess it was, it was last, maybe January, we went to Dallas with some friends. We met the Palmers there. Some of you know the Palmers. And also our friends, the Cattle Checks, who are from here. And we did the winter games. So my, my children are swimmers, and we were in the, the winter games uh, swimming event, swim, swim meet. And our friends, the Cattle Checks, we were kind of traveling with them. And on our way home, we decided that, you know, Sean would ride with me. I was driving. And then Miranda rode, the, the girls rode together in Christy's car. And so we take off and we're driving down the road and we leave the hotel and, and the cattle checks are from Dallas, so they know the area. So I'm trusting Sean to kind of tell me how to get out of here. And he, he and Christy had figured out how they were going to lead us out. So we go out and we're leaving. And uh, the girls um, make it through a light and Sean and I are in the back and we don't make it through the light. So the girls go on ahead. No big deal. Sean knows his way, right? So the girls continue, and they're going down the road, and they're going down the road. And we, we at this point, you know, I'm going relatively quickly down the road because I'm trying to catch them so we can get, you know, travel along with them. As many of you have probably done if you've been, you know, involved in one of these car, you know, follow the leader sort of things. Um, and we started realizing, like, maybe 30 minutes into it, we still haven't caught them. They must be flying, you know. Sean and I are having this conversation, like, they're just cruising down the road, and we can't, we can't catch them. And so he said, oh, I got an idea. I have an app on my phone. I can, I can track where Christy is, where her phone is. So let's, let's figure out where she is, and then we can see how close we are. Well, when he opens up the app, there's, there's two dots on the, on the map, and they, they're a long ways from us. 
a long way. So like miles and miles away. And so we're thinking, oh my gosh. So we call them and we say, girls, you got to slow down. We can't, keep, we can't catch up to you guys. So we continue down the road, maybe another 15 minutes, and we still haven't caught them. And we're watching on the app, and they're getting further and further. We're, we're speeding up, and they're telling us that they're slowing down. But we're thinking, oh, they're, they're wanting to get ahead and stop and, you know, take a break or something. Um, well, finally, what we figured out, Sean was reading the map wrong. We were the ones in the front. We were the ones that were way ahead. Somewhere along the line, we had passed them without knowing it. I tell you that story because I really think when it comes to following Jesus, we make a lot of, a lot of mistakes too, right? We don't, read, we don't read things right. We misinterpret what's in front of us and we think it's one way when, when it's really not. And, and we choose to tr- put our trust in something like an app rather than putting our trust in Jesus and in his word. And so that, that's what I want to talk about today is how do we learn to trust and to follow Jesus. So Matthew chapter 11, beginning in verse 25. This is Jesus speaking. It says, And at that time Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father. And no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, Learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Salvation is not about our effort. It's not about our work. It's about resting in Christ alone. He's done the work. And as, as our old pastor used to say, Christianity is not a religion of do. It's a religion of done. We don't trust in what we can do, but in what Jesus has done on the cross, right? Um, listen to the words again there. Come to me, and I will give you rest. And then he says, take my yoke upon you. If I'm weary and heavy laden... Why do I want to take on a yoke? Remember, I don't know about you, but in Sunday school, I was always taught that a yoke was a wooden um, device that went between, I think we've got a picture here somewhere, went between some cattle or oxes or something like that. And uh, that's how they would, you know, push, pull the plow through the dirt and the soil. Why do I want to take, it doesn't matter how easy and how light this yoke is, it's still more work, right? More effort. I, I, if I'm weary and heavy laden, Jesus is saying, come to me, I'll give you rest. But then he says, take my yoke upon you? What is that? Why would I do that? Well, there is an answer. There is an answer. It has to do with what the yoke really is. See, in Sunday school, we learned that that was the yoke. But that's not exactly what the yoke was. So in order to figure out what the yoke is, we have to go back and do a little bit of history. 
Um, as Brian used to say, context, context, context. Right? So the context of this passage is in, the, is in Israel in the first century. And it was a Jewish um, culture that they were in. And so we've got to learn a little bit about the Jewish culture. So we're going to, we're going to talk, I'm going to teach you, if you haven't ever heard this before, I'm going to tell you a little bit about the Jewish educational system. Um, basically what would happen in those days when they were training their kids, um, there, there were kind of three levels to the education, and most of the kids, most of the students only did the first level. Uh, the first level was from the ages of 6 to 10, and it was called... I don't know if I'm saying this correctly or not. Bet Sefer is what I'm going to say. Uh, which means house of the book. And those kids from the ages of 6 to 10 would go to the synagogue. And the rabbis and the teachers would train and teach them. And they would memorize the first five books of the Bible. The Torah. From 6 to 10, they would memorize the first five books of the Bible. I, 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 I teach 7th and 8th graders and I cannot imagine them uh, doing this. This is, this is an amazing feat. Uh, however, that was, that was the plan. That was what they did. Now, when they finished memorizing the first five books of the Bible um, at the age of around 10 or so, I don't know if they had a graduation ceremony. I don't know what they did at the end. But... They were mostly, most of the students were done with their education. And they would go home, and they would learn the family business. And it was sort of an apprenticeship sort of thing where the father would be teaching them how to do the family business. Uh, and they would learn the family business and go on from there. Now, now, there were a few, a very select few, kind of the best students who would get to go to the second level of their education. And that was called Bet Talmud, which means house of learning. So from the ages of about 10 to around 14, they would be involved in the house of learning, in the second step in their education, which was basically very similar. Uh, they would memorize the rest of the Old Testament. So by the age of 14, they got the whole Old Testament memorized. And they also would take part in uh, a practice that the Jewish people had um, which demonstrated their great regard for the scriptures. It was the practice of questioning. Basically, the rabbi or the teacher would ask a question, and instead of just answering it outright, like we do in my school, we train them for the test in my school, these guys had to know more than just a basic understanding. They, had, they couldn't just give you the answer. Not, not only were they supposed to give you the answer, they were supposed to ask another question. So they were to, to have such a high regard for the scriptures that they would not only answer the question, but they had to answer, ask, I'm sorry, not only answer the question, they had to ask another question. So they, they're taking it to the next deeper level. We have such a high regard of the scriptures, we want to go deeper and deeper and deeper. So yeah, Rabbi, I understand this, but what about this? And then so they would question more and more. And so the art of this was in their culture. It was part of what they did. If you look at um, Luke chapter 2, verse 46, if you will remember, when Jesus was 12 years old, his parents lost him. They couldn't find him. They were on their way out of town. 
And what does Luke chapter 2, verse 46 say? It says, after three days, they found him in the temple courts, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. This is the art of question and answers that's going on. Everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. So Jesus himself, you know, this, this is part of that whole system. That's, that's what he was doing. So, if, if they made it that far, which very few did, they were, again, most of them were done. But the very best of the very best of the very best would then go to the third level of their education. And they would go, they would approach a rabbi. Most likely it was the rabbi that they kind of connected with the most or that they understood or agreed with the most in the, in the way that he would interpret the scriptures. And they would go to that rabbi and they would say, I want to be, I want to be your disciple. Most of the time the rabbi said, absolutely not. Uh, but every once in a while, the rabbi would see uh, some potential in somebody or something like that and he would begin to grill that student. And he would ask him questions after questions after questions. And that student would answer with an answer and another question. And so it would turn into this dialogue that would go on and on and on. And what the rabbi is looking for during this time is to try to figure out not, not does this student understand my teachings? Because, because just understanding the teachings is not what our discipleship is about, is it? It's not about knowledge. The rabbi was looking to see, does this, is this student somebody who can do the things that I have taught? Is he somebody that can live it out? Is he somebody that can actually live his life like I live my life? That's what he was looking for. When that happened, the rabbi would say to the student, come follow me. When that happened, after this, the, the student had approached the rabbi, the rabbi grilled him, then the rabbi would finally say, come follow me. And the student's job at that point was to take on the yoke. Take on the yoke of that rabbi. The yoke was not the wooden thing that the rabbi carried because he didn't carry anything like that. The yoke is the way that he interpreted the scriptures. The yoke was the lifestyle that he led based upon his interpretation of the scriptures. So to take on his yoke meant to take on a lifestyle like the rabbi and to try to be like the rabbi. Once I understood this, I understood a few other things that didn't, hadn't made a lot of sense to me before. If you think about when Jesus calls the disciples, I always thought... What in the world? How, like how? How could the, Jesus calls the disciples and they just leave? Their family, their home, their job. They left everything and followed. What could that, why? How could, what could it be about this man that would make them leave all of that? Well, this is it. This is it right here. If you think about it, why were they out fishing in the first place? Because they didn't have the education. They'd gone, at, you know, probably through the first step of that, but maybe that's it. Some of them may have made it a little further. We don't know. Scripture doesn't tell us that. But they'd already flunked out. 
right? They're learning the family business. They're doing the normal thing that they're supposed to be doing. And then instead of them approaching the rabbi, the rabbi shows up where they are. And he says the same phrase, come follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. Do you see how much of an honor this is? This is a second chance for him, right? It's a second chance. He's come to them. Which, by the way, I think that's a picture of God sending the Son, Jesus Christ, to us as well. He's come to us. I love it. When he comes to them, it, it, it remi- I think about it in the ways of basketball. I'm not a basketball fan. Never have been too much. But I imagine a seventh grade boy out at the park and Michael Jordan shows up and says, hey, you got some skills. You want to come with me? Let's work on this stuff together. I mean, what kid would not do that, right? Mom, I ain't going to be home. I'm leaving, you know? That's, that's what the situation was here. And I think that's a beautiful picture of us when we go to follow Jesus. We drop it all. Our focus, our attention is on him. So we leave and we go. Um, so the interpretations, the yoke that Jesus had, what is it? I mean, I mean, their goal is to become like the rabbi, right? So what is it about his that's different? Oh, I'm, I'm, I messed up my notes here, sorry. Uh, more about how they would follow and, and how this system worked. When they're, they're trying to be like him, there is a, um, a, a, a rabbi very early on who was attributed to saying, his, his name is, again, I'm not sure how to say it, Yosef ben Yozer, something like that. And he's attributed to saying, let your house be a meeting place for the rabbis. Cover yourself in the dust of their feet and drink in their words thirstily. Let your house be a meeting place for the rabbis. Cover yourself in the dust of their feet and drink in their words thirstily. The idea, this was a saying that, would, that all of them would have known. The idea is that they would follow so closely behind the rabbi that the dust that his feet kicked up would fall on their feet. Let their feet be covered in the dust of the rabbi. Right? They're going to follow so closely that, that they would gather dust of, of him on their feet. And so that's what they did. It wasn't the, the rabbi sitting down. The, the first set two sections, uh, you know, happened in, first two sections of their education happened in the synagogue. And it was a lot about knowledge and memorization and that sort of thing. Well, this step is the apprenticeship. This is the part where you go and you follow. And whatever the rabbi had to do, they would follow him. Like if he was going to uh, bring into, to work in the food pantry, then they would go work in the food pantry. If he was going to go teach a class, then they would follow him there. If he, no matter what he did, if he went to the bathroom, I don't know that they actually had doors they closed or anything like that, but they, they watched everything that he did. And actually there is documented stuff saying that they paid attention to how he went to the bathroom. And they tried to be like him in every way. I personally think... If, if they had documented that, it might solve one of our age-old questions, right? Does the toilet paper go on the top or does it go underneath, right? You know? If we knew what Jesus did, we, we'd have it, right? I personally, I'm, I'm an over-the-top guy, just, just saying. Uh, <laughs> amen. <laughs> um, 
The other thing, it, it's, it's noted that if the rabbi limped, then you would see the disciples limping behind him. <laughs> the idea is that discipleship is not about knowing, it's about becoming. What did Peter do? Jesus is walking on the water. Peter is out in the boat. He steps out of the boat to walk on the water. He's trying to be like the rabbi, right? He's trying to follow in his footsteps. And in this case, it's not the dust of the rabbi he wants on his feet. It's the splashes of the rabbi he wants in his feet, right? This is the motivation. It's about being like him, becoming like him. I think this is following. I think we miss it. We, uh, in the church world, we think knowledge is everything, and it's not. It's good, but we've got to be and to become and to work to, to uh, live out these things. Peter would go on to say in 1 Peter 2, 21, to this you were called because Christ suffered for you leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. Peter has the right to say that, right? He's the one that took the steps out onto the water. Back to our passage. Matthew chapter 11, verse 28 and 30. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. My yoke is easy. So how was Jesus' yoke different? How were his interpretations different? Most of the rabbis in those days, they, well, they had, the, they had 613 laws that were found in the first five books of the Bible, the Torah. They all agreed on those 613 laws that were found in the scriptures. And then the rabbis had, had added extra things to that. So, yes, it says to uh, honor the Sabbath and keep it holy. That's what the law says. But what does that mean? So the rabbis would come up with things. Okay, well, that means that you can't work on, on the Sabbath. Well, what is, what, is, what is considered work? Well, one rabbi might say, well, you could walk this far and it not be work. But if you go any further than that, now you're working. And another rabbi would say, no, it's not that far, it's this far. But you can only, do, only make that trek and only, work, only walk that far if you're doing this kind of a thing. And so there's all these sort of debates that are going on, not about the 613 laws that are in the scriptures, but about how do you interpret it? What, what does it mean? So you see what I'm saying? So each rabbi had their own thing. So how was Jesus' yoke different is the question. If you listen to Jesus, it's different. These other guys are, are basically teaching the very same things that their rabbi taught them. Right? But Jesus is different. Look in Matthew chapter 5, verse 21 and 22. He says, You have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not murder, but whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you, that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Did you catch that? You've heard that it was said, but I say to you, 
And in Matthew 25, verse 27, 28, you have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you, that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Six different times in Matthew 5 alone, Jesus says, you have heard that it was said, but I say to you. He's changing it. He's not teaching what the other rabbis taught. You see what I mean? His yoke is different. Jesus spoke with authority. I mean, he's basically saying, these other guys didn't get it right. I'm telling you this. So he's, 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 he's assuming some authority here, right? And the people took notice. They noticed, they noticed what he was doing. Matthew 7, verses 28 and 29. When Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching. For he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. Jesus was teaching a new yoke. So how could the people know? I mean, he's assuming this authority, but how could the people know that he had the authority? What gave him the right to do that? Well, this goes actually back to the history as well. In those days when when the student would make it through all three levels of education... And then they were, you know, had finished it all up and, and the rabbi had agreed, then they would have a little ceremony. And there would be two witnesses that were required. There would be two rabbis who would lay their hands upon that student and they would pray with him and pray over him and then he would be a rabbi. Jesus had two witnesses too. When Jesus was baptized... Who was there? The voice of the one crying in the wilderness, right? John the Baptist was there. But there was a second one, and that is the voice from heaven. That was the Father God, right? So there were two witnesses for Jesus as well. So his authority, they could know that he had the right to speak with this authority because he had had the two witnesses just like any other rabbi. But he had something else that they didn't have either. That's the miracles, right? They'd seen his authority. They'd seen the authority that he had over the wind and the waves. They'd seen the authority that he had over sickness and disease. The authority that he had over the demons. Even over death itself. When he raised Lazarus. So Jesus not only speaks with authority and assumes authority, but he has it. And the people were able to see that as well. There's one other piece to all of this. The, hang on. When the rabbis were working with their students, those that had made it that far, they had a phrase that they would use. The student would do something or say something that the rabbi would agree with and that you know, he feels like he, he got it. And the rabbi would say, you have fulfilled the law. You have fulfilled the Torah. But if the student didn't get it right, 
the rabbi would say, you have abolished the law. You've abolished the Torah. So there's this idea of abolishing or fulfilling. Right? We've been reading a lot out of Matthew chapter 5 today. All of that stuff about, you've heard it said, but I say. Before he said those things, listen to what he said. 5.17 Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. When the people heard that, they recognized where this came from, the whole fulfill or abolish. This was a part of their culture. This was a part of everything that they did. So Jesus says, I've not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. And then he says, you've heard it was said, but I say, he says that six different times. You've heard it was said, but I say, wait a minute. Sounds like he is abolishing, right? He's changing it all up. Why would he say he's here to fulfill it if then he's going to go and change it all up and make it different? Look at what he said, though. The law about murder in the Old Testament is more meant to point you to something bigger, to anger. The law about adultery is meant to pick you to, to point you to something different, which is lust and thoughts. He's not come to abolish, but to fulfill. He's making it, he's raising the bar, right? So his yoke is raising the bar, but his yoke is easy, and his yoke is light. I'm already weary and heavy laden. Why do I want this bar way up here? I'll tell you why. Because a yoke means you're not alone. A yoke means you're not alone. There's another one there. And the other ox is Jesus. He's done the heavy lifting. When it came to paying the price for our sin, death, he did it for us. In all of the ways, he's raised the bar, but he's with us. In all the ways he's raised the bar, he's also promised, I'm with you. The difference in the yoke of Jesus and the yoke of the rabbis is Jesus himself. The yoke of the rabbis was obey these 613 laws of the Old Testament plus these others that I've added on to it. And if you don't get it right, too bad. But the yoke of Jesus is, yeah, you gotta do all that. I'm even gonna make it harder on you. But I'm here 
His presence is the difference in his yoke. The cross is the difference in his yoke. Our salvation goes with his yoke. So when we take on his yoke, his teachings, when we try to live our lives in a way that would follow, be in line with the teachings of Jesus, then we can live in freedom because we have salvation and because our sin and the penalty of our sin has been paid for. So how do we follow? That's the original question. How do we follow Jesus? We leave our families, our homes, our jobs like the disciples did? Maybe. Maybe. Mark eight thirty four says this. Calling the crowd with him, calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. The way that we follow Jesus is by taking on his yoke. We take on the fulfillment of the law, which is the cross. His sacrifice. His yoke is easy because he's done the heavy lifting. He paid the price for our sin. He is the price for our sin. I hesitated to uh, share this, but I will, I will anyway. Um, last week, Chad shared a quote by a guy named Rick Warren, and he, he said, uh, you know, we don't, we don't believe everything Rick Warren says, but this is a good thing. Here's another quote by Rick Warren. <laughs> he says, when you're yoked with Christ, you move together with him. You move in the same direction, at the same speed. And you move in the right direction at the right speed. He goes on to say, he's talking about the verse that we've been studying. He goes on to say, Jesus says three verbs in this verse. Come, learn, and take. Jesus says, come to me, team up with me, learn how I do it. Take on a lighter load. This is going to reduce your stress. This is going to make it easier to navigate. That's the end of the quote from him. Jesus' presence is the difference in his yoke. The cross is the difference in his yoke. His yoke is easy and his burden is light. Because we're just along for the ride. Right now, the offer to you guys, to me. Come to me. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me. I will give you rest. You can find satisfaction in me. Fulfillment in me. Come. Rest. Let's pray.
Father, we come this morning thankful that Jesus has paid a debt that we could not pay ourselves. Father, we come um, broken and humble to cast our cares on Jesus, knowing that he cares for us. We come weary and heavy laden to take on the yoke of Jesus because it's easy and his burden is light because he's taken it all for us. Father, I pray there are those in this room who have not taken on the yoke of Christ that this morning they would follow him. That they would hear him say, come to me, find rest in me. And Father, I pray for every believer in this room this morning that we would rest in Jesus, that we wouldn't have fear of condemnation because we know we're secure in Christ. It's for his sake and in his name we pray. Amen. Would you stand as we continue to worship?